Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's time once again. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, we step back into the ring, back into time. Let's get wall to wall, treetop tall. With the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, hanging out in the great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Hey, stud, how do you spend your weekends? Is there a lot of football involved in your weekends? Oh, man, you better believe it. Uh, Especially (laughs) I like the college game better than the pros. I watch the pros, too. Same here, yeah. But the college game, man, I'm really into. And, uh, wow, I always love this time of year. It's a it's a beautiful thing, college football. It uh, is. It's fun to wake up on Sunday morning and watch the college football final. If you miss something, and then f- figure out what happened with your team, other teams, and that kind of thing. But it's it's fun to just flip around on Saturday. Oh yeah, man! I like to start my day on the, the game day. Yes, sir. Absolutely. You know, ESPN, the three hours of it. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, I get an idea of what's going to happen, man, for the entire day, the yeah. whole weekend. So, yeah, deal. I think it's only you and me and millions of others that do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Listen, stud, new fans around the world are finding you like every day and all the different things that you're doing now to entertain us on the studcast. See, because your studcast has become one of the most popular wrestling podcasts on the planet and available on your tremendous website tnstud.com also your youtube southeastern rewind channel and all of the podcast outlets we're available anywhere you find your podcast speaking of youtube southeastern rewind and that channel you've turned it into one of the most interesting places to find your exclusive type of content that can be found nowhere else. It is really amazing what you put together in six years, Stud. Well, you know, six years, it sounds, uh, <laughs> sounds like a, a long time frame, and it is a pretty long time frame. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little too old now to entertain in the ring. I can't get in the ring and do what I used to do, Dave, but, uh, but I'm doing my best to keep it up, man, and to keep in touch and, uh, and, and continue in the wrestling in one form or another. So uh, my YouTube Southeastern Rewind channel has a little bit of everything. Uh, like the recent Studcast, uh, they're all on there. Uh, short clips of TV matches from my 
pass companies. I call those short rides with the stud. Uh, and those things are very, very popular. In fact, the last one I put on uh, broke a just to shatter the first day record. So, uh, you know, fans are really enjoying that. Uh, I got stud stories on there and uh, and all the things uh, wrestling, man, for my distant past. Uh, once a month, I have these question and answer shows where fans get to ask the questions, too. Hey, that's cool. And anybody that wants to keep up with what's going on with you, of course, they can do that. On all of your social media, you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, now known as X, and easy to find. Listen, I've never said this before, and I'm sure your fans are not aware of this, but you've really done all of this all on your own for more than six years. And during those six years, you have funded every bit of it out of your own pocket. We've had this conversation in private before. Being in this business, I'm aware of some of the production costs for things like broadcast host, moi, recording studios, website hosting, and maintenance, posting cost, and a ton more. Plus, stud, I do know you do your own research. You spend at least two days every week preparing for each stud cast. I did a little math on this this week. And on that subject, you spend... Two eight-hour days, that's 16 hours, just preparing for each stud cast. This is episode number 318. Stud, that's over 5,000 hours of your life spent working on just stud cast alone, not counting everything else that you do. Oh, geez, man. <laughs> I've got a sorry you did those numbers, man. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, but I consider this to be a labor of love, Dave. You know, uh, uh, it's my way of giving back to those that supported my wrestling companies in the 1970s and the 1980s and fans, man, from all over the world that, that just really appreciate old school wrestling, man. Hey, you know, you talked about this. You and I talked in private about this on my back porch a long, long time, six, over six years ago about how you really wanted to document this incredible life that you've lived. And speaking of giving back, Ron, you are giving us another great studcast today. This is episode, as we said, number 318, and you titled it Tennessee Briscoe versus Slater, Gulf Coast, me, that's you, me versus Ox. That's four of the sport's biggest names back in 1979. So tell us how and where you get this thing and how we how do we start writing this week? Well, I'm going to begin this one with uh, something I've not done before. Uh, I'm going to take a, you know, a breakdown of uh, some of the tremendous talent in both of the southeastern territories uh, in the first week of October 1979. And uh, then we're going to ride into Tennessee with half of those stars on a great card there. And, and it has another, there's another bounty match, uh, two title matches, uh, and a first ever 30-30 match between my brother and my cousin. Uh, that's going to be in the Tennessee territory. And, uh, who's, you know, my, two, my brother and my cousin, uh, they got a little dislike going big time, man, and uh, they've got no hair. But the hair's beginning to grow back. It's been a couple of months <laughs> since they both lost their hair. But uh, they, they really, uh, really had quite a feud going, man, so... We'll cover the TV show promoting this card and the results of the matches and the Knoxville attendance. Uh, 
Plus, I have another all-star Knoxville five uh, card uh, for everybody. Uh, then we're to go to the Gulf Coast, uh, and it has just as good a card as the Tennessee card, actually, this week. And it's got a Texas death match. It's got two title matches that also had additional stipulations added to them. Once one of those was a loser losing le- losing team splits forever match, you know, and I'm one of the first times we ever did one of those. And the other is a loser leaving Southeastern match. Plus there's three more matches on that card. So I give the details on the TV show that promotes this card, the results of the matches and attendances in all three of the major markets like we normally do. And then once again, Dave, <laughs> I'm still hoping that we're going to get ourselves a learning tree question. <laughs> I knew this what you were going to say. Lately, it seems like these studcasts have been so loaded. I'm surprised we've gotten in any learning tree questions at all. So hopefully we'll get that done today. So, all right. You said you would like to start with a first time ever look at all the talent in both territories. That should be extremely interesting. So why don't we start with the Knoxville card Friday, October 10th, 1979 chill. Howie parks amphitheater. So set it up. Who was on that? Well, it opened up with Wayne Rogers against Redbeard who was uh, Doug Gilbert. Uh, Dean O was taking on the Angel, who was Frank Morrell. The third match uh, could have been a main event just about anywhere in the world, to be honest with you. Paul Orndorff against Tor Tanaka. Then came Jimmy Golden against my brother Rob, and they were in a first-time-ever 30-30 match, uh, which uh, had some odd rules to it. Uh, Golden had to win the, in the first 30 minutes of this match, or if it went past 30 minutes, the match flipped over from being a regular match to a Texas death rules match in the last 30 minutes. And then uh, there was a United States uh, Junior Heavyweight Championship match. Tony Charles was defending against Norvell Austin. Uh, There was also a very special uh, Southeastern Championship match. Dick Slater was defending his belt against the former NWA world champion, and the guy that had spent a lot of time training him, Jack Briscoe. Wow. wow. Last match on this card was another bounty match. This time, since Gigi upped the money in the last stud cast to $10,000 now for the mm-hmm. bounty, uh, Alexis Smirnoff was going after the money, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. And, uh, and if he could put the Mongolian out of wrestling, he was going to get the ten grand. Wow. That's a big-time card right there, Ron. So, all right, how about the TV show six days earlier, which definitely sets all this up to promote the card? How did it go? Well, the TV opened with the Mongolian Stomper at the set with Les, and uh, and he had, uh, had had some stitches put in his head the night before, uh, and uh, he, had a, he had a little uh, bandage on the top of his bald head and uh, – they watched the video from the night before, and it was going to show how Stomper got those stitches. So uh, Les, uh, you know, said Archie, which he called him Archie, uh, you know, and uh, at this point, uh, everybody knows that uh, Archie is a Canadian and that he uh, speaks English. And so, uh, you know, and, and it was real name. So uh, uh, Les said that uh, Archie and I was on the TV out down in the Gulf Coast. So I didn't actually see his TV, but Les talked. Talked about it extensively with me about this TV. And he said that, uh, you know, uh, 
So he said uh, Stomper was really, really quiet, didn't want to hardly say anything in the first part of this program. Uh, and uh, Stomper had beat Ox Baker in, the, in that match the night before in the middle of the ring. And he left him laying, man. Uh, you know, Ox wasn't getting up. And as Stomper was trying to leave the ring, Gorgeous George Jr. kind of drew his attention toward him. And then Alexis Smirnoff, who wasn't in the match at all, had sneaked down to the ring and he grabbed a chair that the uh, one of the, the announcer was sitting in, a steel chair. And uh, he came up behind the Stomper. Uh, stomper just about to grab Gigi. And uh, Smirnoff uh, planted that chair over the top of his head, man. Knocked knock Stomper unconscious and uh, <clears throat> left him bleeding. And he had to be carried back to the dressing room. Wow. So the Stomper had said nothing up to that point, you know, uh, in this whole deal. And they'd less said we'd watched about three or four minutes of it. And then he said, uh, until he said that we got to the point where he started to be carried away from the ring after he'd been hit with the chair. And he said, he shouted, man. He said, he scared me to death. He about scared me to death. He, he said, stop it, Les, stop the video, right? And so the studio crowd went silent as well. They were responding to the video, but it kind of scared them too. And it was basically the first time anybody had seen him really angry since he'd become like a fan favorite. So uh, he looked straight into the cameras and he spoke. Uh, Les said he sounded like, like he was growling like a bear when he was saying it, you know. And he, <laughs> he said, I knew when Gorgeous George Jr. doubled my bounty, that bounty money last week, that my career was now in jeopardy, Les. Hmm. And then he pointed to the top of his head and he said, your bounty hunters are not the only one that know how to use a chair, George. Referring to gorgeous George Jr. He <laughs> called him George, obviously. <laughs> and, then, and then he said, you know, two can play the bounty game, George. But he said, I'm not going to pay anybody to take care of you. I'm going to do that job myself. And so Les said the studio crowd popped as though, uh, they were relieved he wasn't mad at them almost, right? And then he said, Les said, Stomper continued on, and he said, uh, your Russian Smirnoff, he said, he can't get the job done, and neither can your Jap Tanaka. He said, things are going to get real nasty now, George. So, and he stood up, uh, Les said, to leave the set, and then he leaned over to make one more comment. <laughs> and uh, he said, the Russian better watch his back, <laughs> and you too, George, from now on. Wow. All right, so I'm pretty sure there was another pop on that stud. The stomper sounded dead serious, it sounds like. So what about the first TV match? Well, uh, Les said the Archie left the set and he went to the ring. He was in that first match. And uh, Les said, wow, he said, Ron, he was as violent as I'd ever seen him in any match. He said he might have been babyface at this point. But wow. he said, God, he was like a killer in the first match. Wow. So an interview and then immediately into the ring. That's a great way to open the TV show, Stud. What was next? Well, the Southeastern champion, Dick Slater, uh, with his belt on, he, he, he went into the ring. He was in the second match. And Les said he was just as intense as the Stomper had been. And he said uh, he got another win. And then he went to the set with Les and he watched an interview from the former NWA world champion, Jack Briscoe. And Les said uh, Jack uh, had some great things to say about Dick Slater. And uh, he told everybody that, you know, he had spent many hours training Dick because they both lived in Tampa. Uh, you know, uh, Dick was born there and Jack, that's where he lived. 
Jack said he was focused. Ba you know, basically, he said, you know, I've, I've now put my focus back on winning the world championship again. And he goes, uh, and, uh, and I want to, and in order to get there, I have to win some highly recognized regional championship belts, uh, get them around my waist to get the attention I need again. And he says, I hate to do this, Dick, but he goes, your southeastern belt is where I'm going to start. So Slater, with his belt, uh, now it was sitting on a desk in front of him. He said, uh, you know, he says to Les, and he was very honest. He said, this is going to be the biggest challenge since I've won this belt, right? And he goes, although, you know, we've been longtime friends, all that's out the window now, sounds like to me, Les. And he says, it's time to get down to championship <laughs> business. So, wow. All right. How about the personality profile? Who was on that? Well, Les had been waiting for a while uh, and asked me several times. He wanted to do a profile with both Robert and Jimmy together about this family feud that was going on. It had been going on about two months at this time. So he said, uh, on this day, he, you know, I, you know, he said, I, I got it set up, Ron, and I hope it's going to be all right. And I told him, well, gosh, go ahead, yes. So he said he began the profile with both Rob and Jimmy. Uh, first, he said, I made him agree that they're going to stay seated and they're not going to fight uh, during this profile. And uh, then he said uh, they started the profile, talking about their upcoming match, the first ever 30-30 match. And they kind of explained the rules of that match, you know, that the first 30 minutes was a regular match. If it went past 30 minutes, then they started to have Texas death match rules until somebody won the match. And Les said, uh, you know, they made it through that part of it. Uh, he said they were pretty intense, but, uh, you know, uh, didn't have a problem uh, with that part of it. And uh, he said, and then I, he said, Ron, I spent a lot of time, me and Bill Kincaid, the director, piecing together tapes of these different matches between the two of these guys since they started that first hair versus hair match between them on Friday, uh, August the 10th, 1979 which was almost exactly two months earlier than this, uh, than this, uh, this uh, uh, TV that we're talking about. Right. So Les told me that uh, they had made that video. Uh, they made it through that first video with Robert getting his head shaved after the match, showed the end of the match, and then Robert getting his head shaved. And then he said the next video was from two weeks later. It was a match on August the 24th, 1979, the match where Jimmy lost his hair and had his head shaved. So Les said by the time they got to the end of that one, he said they were both out of their seats, right? He, <laughs> said, he said, I had to get up and get between them, man. And they said, I called uh, I called the, the director, Bill Kincaid, upstairs. That's it. Let's get out of this. <laughs> Before he said they were going to go at it, man. So he said it worked out good until the very end. Mm, sounded like a good idea and something different. I bet the studio crowd was really into it. I'm sure they were, you know. I mean, uh, but I'm also sure Les didn't want to get his profile set torn up. That's what he was concerned about. So uh, next up uh, was Tony Charles, and uh, he hadn't been on the TV in quite a while. Uh, he was wearing his United States Junior Heavyweight Championship belt in the ring. He was going to be defending it. And uh, his opponent, the guy he was going to be defending with against, Norvell Austin, in that championship match six days later, he joined Les at the set to watch this match with Tony Charles. And uh, 
And he had some information that kind of made Tony less said, kind of made Tony look bad. He said, uh, he brought up the fact, he says, uh, you know, Les, I went back and I've looked and he says, Tony Charles has not defended his United States Junior Championship not one time in the last two months. And he said, do you know the last person to beat Tony Charles, Les? And uh, he said, Les said, no, I hadn't you know, I don't know exactly. And he goes, me. I beat him, non-title match. And he wouldn't even give me a title match. So the Norvell, you know, he might have been making him look a little bit bad on the set, but, boy, Tony wasn't looking bad in the ring, Les said. And uh, Les, as usual, said Tony tore the studio up, man, and he wowed him again on the end with another one of those spectacular throws at the end of the match. Then the last TV match was Alexis Smirnoff, managed by gorgeous George Jr., and uh, Smirnoff was uh, tuning up, basically, for this upcoming bounty match with a stomper six days later. Uh, he was taking care of business in the ring and about to finish off his opponent when the stomper came in, into the studio, grabbed the chair, and slid into the ring behind, this time behind Smirnoff, <laughs> unlike it had been the night before. And he got his revenge from the night before. Boy, he gave him a chair shot, let's said. <laughs> over the top of the head, and uh, and he just left the ring, uh, took his chair with him, and uh, left the studio. And uh, while the studio was on his feet, said they went crazy in the studio. Well, Stomper did say earlier, Stud, the Russian better watch his back. That's one heck of a TV show right there. All right, so how about six days later in the amphitheater? Redbeard uh, beat Wayne Rogers. Dino won over the Angel. Paul Orndorff got a huge victory. Anytime you beat Tor Tanaka, that's a huge victory. And Paul Orndorff beat Tor Tanaka. Uh, Robert and Jimmy, they had a bloody match. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, I wasn't uh, there to see that one either. I'm still down in the Gulf Coast. Les said uh, that it didn't. It didn't uh, get through the first 30 minutes. Not, they didn't get to the Texas death match. He said they both got disqualified in the first 30 minutes, both of them bleeding. He said the decision was a no contest. And Tony Charles and Norvell Lawson wrestled to a 30-minute time limit draw in the U.S. junior title match. And then he said uh, Jack Briscoe, who had not wrestled in Knoxville for four years since 1975, wow. when he was a NWA champion, uh, he was a babyface. And he was wrestling me, 1975. And he began his Southeastern match uh, as a babyface again this time, you know. Uh, but, uh, but he found Slater to be a, a much improved wrestler than he He hadn't been around Dick in a couple of years at this point. And he didn't realize how much Dick had improved as a wrestler. So uh, Jack had, uh, let's say Jack turned heel, man, at the end of the match and Got himself disqualified, and, uh, you know, so uh, Slater's going to be coming back with him again the following week, uh, and uh, Jack's going to get a second shot at the Southeastern belt. Then hmm. the, the $10,000 bounty match, uh, it ended up with more than just the Mongolian Stauffer and Alexis Smirnoff in the ring. In fact, it was a trio of men, Gigi and his two henchmen, Tanaka and Smirnoff together, uh, they, uh, they, all three got on Stomper at the end of this, and Paul Orndorff had to come down. He had beat Tanaka earlier in the night, but he came down to kind of the Stomper's rescue. And the following Friday, uh, 
There's going to be another match between Stomper and Smirnoff, and this one's going to be a lights-out, anything-goes match. Wow. Sounds like a wild night with a little bit of everything. So how about the attendance? How did you guys do? Well, it was, uh, you know, it, it was uh, down 700 from the 30, the 3,700 the week before. It was a uh, attendance, total attendance was 3,000. It was the third straight drop in, in, the, in a row in uh, Knoxville. Mm-hmm. And uh, more than uh, 1,200 fans less than the Andre night two weeks before that. So, wow. you know, we dropped uh, – uh, Knoxville was not headed in the right direction. I guess that's the best way to put it. Hey, by the way, you said earlier you had another all-star card on the same weekend. Tell us tell us about that. Well, it was back in that Fulton High School gym. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in a high school gym in Knoxville. Mm-hmm. It was the second week in a row, and for the first time since they started – there was no mention of southeastern belts or title matches, uh, and, you know, because I had I had uh, found myself an attorney, and I said we got to stop this. They certainly can't be uh, entitled to do that. And, uh, so this time they had no mention of southeastern or title matches, and then the only title match on this card was Angelo Poffo, uh, the father of uh, Lanny and Randy Poffo, uh, his ICW belt was at stake and uh, that was a match between the great Malenko and Bob Root. Ronnie Garvin was facing uh, Bob Orton Jr. Uh, and you know that's probably the I'd say for the 10th out of the 14 weeks you know uh, they only had a small crew so they had to wrestle each other time and time again. Uh, then there was a tape fist match with Terry Gibbs uh, against Barry Orton which is the brother of of Bob Orton Jr. Mm-hmm. And uh, Macho Man Randy Savage wrestled Tony Peters. And Ron Wright was on this card. He was in one of the three opening matches. <clears throat> so my weekly spotter uh, that was taking care of uh, trying to give me uh, an idea of what the attendance was, mm-hmm. uh, he said that this crowd was uh, slightly larger than the week before. He said maybe this was 700. It had 500 the week before. Yeah, It was up to 700. But it was, they were still only about 25% as large as our crowd was. Hmm. I, I, I'm curious, did, did Macho Man call himself Macho Man even way back then in 79? Yeah, he, had, uh, he, he, was his, his, he, he wrestled as Randy Savage. Right. He didn't wrestle as a popo, but he called himself Randy Savage, the Macho Man. Gotcha. And that to me, and of course, really not many folks knew who he was then, which is why he was wrestling in front of maybe 700 people. So were there any ridiculous challenges like, like before, like you've talked about, I think every week they tried to do some kind of challenge, right? Of course, Dave. I mean, uh, this time it was called the chicken challenge. (laughs) So it was $7,500. If Robert Fuller showed up at their matches and beat Bob Orton Jr. And uh, not only did they put that in the newspaper ad, but uh, they also mentioned it several times on their TV show. So, and, uh, and to me, uh, this was maybe the worst thing they did to hurt the wrestling business. Uh, these goofball challenges here that made no sense. Right. Uh, and uh, it was all made to look bad, make us look bad. Because we didn't show up, yeah. and uh, 
And then why would we show up in somebody else's matches? Uh, wouldn't make any difference. We'd be promoting them. Yeah, exactly. And one of the one of the things in broadcasting over the years and, and radio, and especially in a market like Dothan, Alabama, a lot of people might not realize how competitive a market like this is. Is we we always you never acknowledge the competition in yeah. any way at all. Yeah, you just you just don't do it. Hey, yeah, for for darn sure. I mean, it's uh, obviously uh, a kiss of death to do yeah. that. Yeah, uh, you know. So, but uh, that's the way they figured they were going to somehow win this war if, uh, mm. if they continued that process. Mm. All right, so it seems like a sad or sad situation for you, I guess, having no control over what someone else was doing to your business was bad enough, but what they were doing to the sport as a whole had to be even worse for everybody involved. I tell you what, it's been a great first part of this studcast. Let's take our break right here, and when we come back, we're going to head south into the Gulf Coast territory where things, it seems like, have been looking up. This Studcast will be right back. Okay, Studcast fans, Ron has all kinds of souvenirs on his tremendous website, tnstud.com. Don't miss his stud store. You can find 43 Super Studcast, most live interviews with some of the top stars in wrestling, only $2.99. And it's more than two hours of real wrestling history. Four different 8x10 photos, only 15 bucks each personally autographed to you for yourself or even a friend t-shirts and the classic novel brutus 1999 for the book only and ron will personally autograph it for only 29.99 autographed by the stud himself y'all everything is free shipping get it now tnstud.com okay studcast fans welcome back once again we're going to start the second part of this studcast with another very good card. It was two days before the Knoxville card that we just talked about. So this card sends us to Mobile, Alabama on the first week in October 1979. Tell us about that, Stud. Well, this card, man, was really a great deal different from the Tennessee card, Dave. But this card was going to eliminate another wrestler in another loser leaves match in the territory, uh, the, and this territory uh, down there in the Gulf was quickly changing at this point. But uh, it was proving its ability, man, to to still draw fans in spite of all these changes. Uh, there's a lot of guys leaving. We're we're moving guys out, and uh, so that was a basically a true sign of a vibrant territory, uh, kind of like the Tennessee territory was before the wrestling war. You know that. Uh, even if you had a lot of changes going on, uh, business still remained good. Yeah, we're, we're sure seeing how destructive that war was. So how about the Mobile card on Wednesday, October 3rd, 1979? Well, Herb Calvert was still there, and uh, he wrestled against the Hunter, which was Rock Hunter. Uh, that was the first card, first uh, opening match. Uh, newcomer uh, Vince Violetti who was great friends with Louis Tillette. That's how he got to be there. Uh, he wrestled the Inferno uh, and a red-hot Kevin Sullivan, man. He was his, it was his third week in the territory. And I, <laughs> Kevin was always on fire. But he was it was obvious to me <laughs> that he was a happy and enjoying that beach down there. 
maybe more than the mountains in Tennessee. You know, he thought he was always saying, "Wow, I love it here in Tennessee." And, well, wow, he's down there now, and he's going, "Wow, Ron, this is unbelievable. I'm beating it every day." You know, well, he was going to be facing Eddie Mansfield. Uh, then there was the Texas Death Match, and it was going to be me against Doc Baker. Uh, then there was the Southeastern Tag Championship match. Uh, and this one had a really tough result for the losers of the match. The champion assassins, uh, they were going to be wrestling against the guys that had beat them a, a week previously, but they'd won the belt back, uh, that, which was Jerry Stubbs and his cousin, Mike Stallings. And the losing team was going to have to split up in the Gulf Coast territory forever. So this, whoever lost this is, they're through as a team. Hmm. Uh, so then the last match might have been even more punishing than that. Uh, the Southeastern champion Austin Idol was risking not only his belt against the match, Mr. Pensacola, but the loser of this one was leaving the Southeastern Gulf Coast territory. Boom, gone. Wow. All right. So it sounds like a pretty important night for at least three people in those last two matches alone. One team had to split up, and someone else was looking for a new place to live. This card says it all. It was a tough business to be in. So what was on the TV to promote this card? Well, the show opened up with the Assassins and uh, their newly won Southeastern tag belts that they had just won the week before. And uh, they went to the set with Les, and they watched the third and deciding fall of the best two out of three. They had won these belts back in a two out of three fall championship match, which was a very unusual, we didn't have many of those. And uh, so they watched the third fall of that, uh, of that match uh, between them and the two cousins from Georgia, Jerry Stubbs and Mike Stallings. And uh, Stubbs and Stallings uh, had lost a belt to him uh, three days earlier in Mobile uh, in this two out of three fall match. And uh, Charlie then asked the assassin, uh, you know, Whose idea? He was very, and he was very, he wasn't trying to be smarty about it. He said, uh, whose idea was this uh, upcoming losing losing team must split up championship match? So both of the masked guys, they had, they had a real hearty laugh about that question. And uh, and then one of them said to Charlie, he says, uh, oh, he says we're not just playing stupid. <laughs> so, and then I saw this TV. I was there on this one, and uh, mm-hmm. he said they are. He <laughs> said uh, they, they asked us for this type of match. Can you imagine that, Charlie? <laughs> and he says, surely, Charlie Patty says you're smarter than those two Georgia crackers. <laughs> so, then the other assassin he chimed in saying, uh, "Well, you know, partner, maybe he's not since he says." Since he's from Alabama and he's only a few miles from the Georgia state line, you know. <laughs> so he goes, you know, rednecks are all the same, and so he ended up by saying, uh, you know, we know these two Georgia crackers, uh, you know, they're in, they're in the first TV match that's going to start right after we leave the set here. And he goes, uh, he goes, I, I got some news for you fans out there. He said, you need to watch this match closely. He said, because it's the last time you're ever going to see this team again. <laughs> you know? He said, because we're going to beat them and they got a split. And he goes, and then, then they, they were both laughing and they took their belts and they left the set. Yeah, I bet they did. Some pretty nasty comments right there to Charlie Platt. So I can't believe he didn't have more to say to them. 
Well, I'm sure he did, you know, but he really didn't have a chance, you know. So I was watching on the monitor back in our dressing room, and, mm-hmm. and I noticed his face was getting red while they were saying this stuff to him and uh, while they were making those comments. And I think it kind of surprised him. They got up and they left the set so fast he didn't have opportunity. So, uh, and right away, man, that made me think back about David Schultz about a year earlier with a similar type of comment, man, comments that, uh, you know, that got us thrown off the mobile TV station for about a month, uh, you know, and there was an incident with uh, Charlie Cook and, uh, uh, you know, crazy stuff. So, wow. so, you know, the old saying, Dave, when it rains, it pours. Yeah. Well, yeah. things like this, at this point, it, it was pouring on me in my life in 1979. It was like, wow, surely we ain't going to have a problem about those comments that was made in the beginning of the show. So after the TV show was over, I had a conversation with both of those guys, with the two assassins, uh, about their future interviews. You know, and uh, and they weren't that type of guys that you know, uh, uh, <laughs> they weren't really nasty, nasty guys. You know, actually, they were both Southern boys from that part of the country. So it wasn't intentional, you know, the, and they got carried away and they resorted to getting what I call cheap heat, criticizing fans, basically. And, you know, saying the saying the personal things to wrestlers. And uh, so they apologized to me and they said it never happened again. And it was a, they were there again. It was just part of being the owner of a wrestling company. So the best thing about it was, though, that it fired up Stubbs and his colleagues, man. They they watched this off the monitor in the dressing <laughs> room, too. And, and then, so on their way to the ring, they made a point of going by Charlie's desk before they went to the ring. And, uh, and I think Stubbs said into the microphone, Charlie, uh, so that uh, everybody could hear it. He goes, uh, you, he says, uh, Charlie, you need to tell, uh, you need to watch this. Tell the assassins to watch this match uh, because he goes, this is what's going to happen to them next week. <laughs> and uh, they went into the ring and they destroyed two, two opponents, man. Uh, Charlie said they took it all out on those boys. They wow. were in the ring. All right. With all these type of things going on, why would anybody want to be the owner of a wrestling company? <laughs> Congratulations, Doug. <laughs> all right. So what was on next? Well, it, it sure wasn't a Southern boy in this next one, I can tell you that. It was a good old Irish boy from Boston, Kevin Sullivan. And, uh, and well, Kevin had gotten fired up, too. You know, uh, I guess the comments got to him a little bit. And uh, he kind of kept the rage of this TV show that, that was starting here going. And, uh, and he was really getting over, man. And uh, soon he was going to be moving up the card. He was going to be in some top matches very quickly. Uh, then the personality profile it didn't slow down this this tv train man i mean this train this tv had it had everybody fired up uh, so the southeastern champion austin idol was live on this one and uh, he said like every time that we did those uh, profiles right next to the studio fans on the bleachers there and uh austin was eager to make his mark on this tv show uh, you know it, it, he, he was watching stuff on the monitor, too, and, and he sees that, wow, this, this show, something's going on here, right? So he and Charlie watched what had happened to him 
the Saturday before on TV. And uh, so that's where, you know, uh, Mr. we saw he saw Mr. Pensacola for the very first time. Uh, and he realized that, uh, hey, that's not Mr. Pensacola. That's a that's the gladiator, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then he and then, he, you know, and they're watching this, this what had happened to him again. And then he said, you know, he, he said he said, I thought I'd gotten rid of him, man. And then he and then he said, I got so enraged. He said, I charged the ring and uh, and, and I ended up, look, I, I got put to sleep. <laughs> And he left me in the ring. Right? So, so he's he's kind of got now he's fired up. He was enraged, man. And, he, and the matter he got, the more the studio audience sitting next to him, uh, they loved it, and they just started booing him. Everything he said after that, you know. And uh, and you know, Austin was pretty cool. I mean, he had been in the business long enough. He kind of fed off all that all that booing. He really knew uh, he got him. There, I've got him now. Yeah. And he made a fantastic interview on the rest of this profile. And this interview was about being cheated by the very company he was representing as their champion. Right? <laughs> I'm their champion, and they should have gotten rid of the gladiator. And instead, he says, now they're making it even worse because they're sending this so-called uh, Mr. Pensacola, who's the <laughs> original gladiator that I've already beat. They're, sending, yeah. they're making me beat him again. Uh, and uh, if I lose, I lose my belt, and I have to leave. Wow! <laughs> so, wow! Some pretty good points going. Man, this show was rocking. So, all right, who was up next? Well, who else, man? Uh, Mr. Pensacola, right? Bang, <laughs> so there it is. Popped him right in there, man. <laughs> and he back there watching everything. He came to the ring fired up too. Uh, you know uh, about what had happened in the personality profile. Uh, with Idol going off on him and what he did last week. And uh, in fact, uh, he was so inspired, he grabbed the microphone away from the ring announcer before he was even introduced. And he made his own unscheduled interview directly to Idol right there. And he said something about, you know, he wasn't going anywhere. He said, I'm going to be the new Southeastern champion. And he said, Idol, you can start packing right now. He says, because I'm going to run you out of the Southeast. And then he challenged Idol, you know, right then. He says, and if you want to, you can come back again this week, like you did last week during my match. And he goes, I'll put you to sleep again. I'll give you another nap. (laughs) And the TV crowd at this point, this show's rocking, like you said, and uh, they were going crazy. So I realized what was going on, man. And the TV, this show, like I said, was it was had a mind of its own. It was <laughs> it was going places. So uh, you know, then in the match, Mister Pensacola hooked the sleeper on his opponent, and uh, I told Idol, I said, "Go to the ring, go get him." <laughs> so Idol left the dressing room, and uh, studio fans were on their feet. And here Idol comes running out of the dressing room. He jumps up on the apron, just like he did the week before. So uh, Mister Mister Pensacola, who was Dick Steinborn. An old pro, one of the greats of all time, and mm-hmm. and uh, really knew the business. And uh, he just said uh, he took advantage of my lead, man. I'd I'd sent uh, Idol out there, and he dropped the sleeper hold that he had on the guy he was wrestling, and he made a run for Idol on the apron. The studio exploded, man. They they think they're going to see the same thing again. <laughs> but Idol jumped off the apron and he and he ran to the dressing room. He just came. Mm. 
roared back to the dressing room. Uh, Mr. Pensacola, man, uh, you know, he didn't miss a step. He just <laughs> he just turned around. The guy was trying to get up. He was about half asleep. He just put the sleeper on him again and put him <laughs> to sleep. Got the win. There you go. All right, so you had the TV on fire, stud. How in the world did you follow all of this? Well, any booker, man, uh, could put together a TV show, obviously. But but when 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 you get some spontaneity uh, that happens, that things that you don't uh, mean and something special happens that you didn't expect, uh, that kind of takes over. Uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, you're riding a horse, man, uh, you know, and, uh, and wow, this, this ride's going to be great. It's going good. You ride it as long as you can. So the last segment of the show started off with Ox Baker going to the set with Charlie. And uh, he was fired up too, man. It was like, wow, he's kind of follow all this good stuff that's in this show. And uh, so he goes to the set to Charlie and he watches our bloody match from Mobile, Alabama, three days earlier. And uh, he was fired up, as the studio was, and everybody else had been in the entire show. And uh, he knew I was scheduled to wrestle in the in the last match. So the studio audience was so loud during the video uh, that they tried to they were booing him so loud that he couldn't be heard, and he was trying to commentate over the video. So Ox just stopped and he stood up <laughs> out of nowhere and he screamed at the studio audience. You know, and he said, uh, get out of here, all of you, right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to run the, all the, all, both bleachers full of people out of the building. <laughs> and, uh, and then he started to walk toward the bleachers. And, you know, they were afraid of Ox. Yeah. Heck, a lot of people were afraid of Ox. And uh, they, a lot of them jumped off the bleachers and they started to run for the exits and the you know, so uh, obviously that wasn't a part of the TV format. It, you know, uh, just like the last segment of the show, uh, this show had a mind of its own, basically. So, like I say, like I said earlier, man, uh, you got that spontaneity horse going here, and as far as I, I was going to ride that horse as far as it was going to take me. So when Ox approached the ring, got closer to the fans. I just came on out of the dressing room. I bolted across there and charged him, man, got, grabbed him by the butt, threw him in the ring. I started kicking his rear. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we fought into the ring. And, uh, man, at this point, the uh, fans were spread all over the studio. They're all standing up. They're all screaming. Uh, and uh, maybe, as, uh, maybe as many people uh, off the bleachers as it was on the bleachers. And uh, <laughs> it was total pandemonium in that place. Wow. And so – Show ran out of time. Me and Ox were still fighting, and, uh, and, and Charlie closed the show. You know, we're, and uh, we're just still going at it as the show went off the air. Oh my God! When I was a kid, I mean, I was well, I wasn't much of a kid. I was maybe a little grown up. I remember watching shows like this, and Charlie Platt at the end, we're out of time, and mayhem is broken out, and it used to just be it drove us crazy. When, like you said, you and Ox were still fighting when it went off the air. That is, that's a, that's an awesome show right there, and it leaves you as a fan going, I cannot miss what's going to be happening at the at the Farm Center or the Coliseum or wherever it's, it was going to be. All right, listen, I would have given anything to to see that specific TV. It must have jumped every city's attendance. It had to. So, what happened in Mobile four nights later? What a hunter. Uh, Rock Hunter beat Herb Calvert, 
the Inferno won over Vince Violetti. Uh, Kevin Sullivan got the best of Eddie Mansfield. Uh, I won the Texas death match against Sox Baker. Uh, in the Southeastern Tag Championship match where the losing team had to split up, the champion assassins who retained their belts, and the Georgia cousins, Jerry Stubbs and Mike Stallings, split up as a team. Uh, and and they've not just in Southeastern, but forever they split up. To, in fact, to my knowledge, mm-hmm. Mike Stallings never wrestled again after he returned home to Georgia. Wow. Wow. So in the Southeastern Championship match, loser leaves Southeastern match uh, with Austin Idol against Mr. Pensacola. Uh, Kevin Sullivan was standing at the back of the building, Expo Hall, and it was packed. And, uh, and, you know, and, and, then, and it was mobile, right? And, and God, you know, they, there was always a, a potential for a riot there. And the fans came back there and got behind Kevin and basically shoved him up to the ring during the match going on between Idol <laughs> and, uh, and Mr. Pensacola. So uh, Idol got the victory. You know, right there, Kevin's standing at ringside. He can't get, he don't want to get in the ring. Uh, the match is just about to end. Uh, but as soon as the Idol got the victory, Kevin realized that Idol ain't going to get it back to the to the dressing room alive. Wow. And uh, he jumped in the ring and uh, and uh, he gave Idol a little taste, his first taste of Kevin Sullivan. He's going to get more of this. <laughs> but uh, when the match ended, man, uh, I can tell you for sure, I'm sure Austin Idol was glad to see him, man. <laughs> mm. Oh, God, Kevin, come on in here and kick my butt. <laughs> you know, it may save my life. Oh. And uh, Expo Hall, as often happened, man, that place was going wild, and Sullivan uh, stayed on top of Idol. He fought him all the way back to the dressing room to keep fans from getting on him. Are you so, and it may have saved Idol's life. Are you kidding? That is a wild ending, Ron. All right. I'm sure that TV show lit up every building you wrestled in that week. So I can't wait to hear the attendances down south in these three major markets. Where everything was up, Dave. Uh, even though uh, we were in the fall of the year, which is the worst of the four seasons for wrestling, uh, Montgomery went from 3,100 up to 3,600. Mobile went from 4,200 to 4,900, almost a sellout. Uh, Dothan from 3,600 to 4,100. Uh, the three cities went from 10,900 the week before to 12,600. Uh, in just three nights uh, out of the six nights of the week, we drew more than 12,000 fans. Uh, 1,600 more fans than the week before. So, uh, you know, so and then in the last four weeks there, actually, since the first week in September, we had seventy six hundred fans in those three cities. Mm. We went from seventy six to twelve thousand six hundred in four weeks. The first week to added five thousand fans in one month. Wow. That's the that's the power of a really fun, good TV show. All right. So it had to be a real good surprise for you, Ron. Oh, man, it was. Good enough, man, that I decided to stay down there another week. You know, I said, geez, this is going great. And, uh, you know, why would I want to go home? I mean, you know, we might continue this run here. Oh, no doubt. Hey, what a great stud cast this has been already. And guess what, Ron? Great news. We're going to do it. We've got time for a learning tree question. 
Let's go right to that. This one comes from one of your former wrestlers with a question that he asked you to answer. His name is Randy Rose, and his question is, Ron, why don't you do something on the origin of the Midnight Express tag team, how it came about, and when it actually started in your southeastern territory? Lots of fans still don't know its history. Wow, that's a great question, Randy. I mean, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and I got to agree, most fans are not aware of where uh, that whole tag team concept, uh, the, where the name came from, uh, the time frame in which it started, and uh, just how long and how many famous tag team combinations in the sport uh, used that name after we came up with it. Uh, so, uh, there, there's some questions about where the concept uh, of this three-man tag team began. Uh, some say it all started in 1979 with the Freebirds, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy. Uh, but there was just two Freebirds uh, in 1979. Uh, and then uh, they were wrestling in Bill Watts' Mid-South Territory, uh, which covered several states, uh, all the way from Oklahoma down to Arkansas, uh, Louisiana, over into the state of Mississippi, uh, right next to where we were, just west of my territory. And uh, so uh, they, uh, it was just Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy in 1979, but in 1981, uh, Bill Watts decided to make a three-team deal out of them, and he added Buddy Roberts to that conversation. Uh, so same time frame, uh, and, and I question the year that that happened, uh, if it happened in in the 81, but uh, in our Southeastern Territory, uh, I came up with the idea of this three-man tag. And, uh, and also, same year now, 1981, and uh, I called the team the Midnight Express. Uh, and the members of my Midnight Express, the first ever Midnight Express, the original Midnight Express that Randy's talking about, was Dennis Condry, Randy Rose, and Norvell Austin. So both the Freebirds and our Midnight Express, uh, three-man teams, they used the same concept. Uh, three wrestlers went to the ring instead of the traditional two and all other tag matches. Two out of three of those wrestlers on the team got in the ring, and the third man stayed at ringside as their manager. So the beauty of this was opponents never knew which two men to prepare to wrestle. You know, they didn't know. There's three guys, uh, and they change them out every night. So they didn't know which two they're going to end up wrestling until the bell rang. And then usually they had to still deal with the third guy who was on the outside of the ring. He's going to get involved probably somewhere during the match. So it was a great concept, and it kept fans. Uh, I think it really intrigued fans. Uh, and, and there's, uh, however, one thing about this that is – there's no question about uh, uh, the Midnight Express. Uh, one, one particular part of this subject about the Midnight Express has never been questioned by anybody, and that's the length of time and the different combinations of wrestlers that wrestled as the Midnight Express. And uh, this all started. First Midnight Express ever was Dennis Condry, Randy Rose, and Norvell Austin. Mm -hmm. uh, from 1981 to 1983, uh, and they were the only three-man combination of that Midnight Express ever. 
was uh, those three guys. Mm. Then Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton, uh, managed by Jim Cornette, uh, became the Midnight Express. Yep. And actually, they wrestled for <laughs> Bill Watts over there in uh, Louisiana from 1983 to 1987. Then the next uh, uh, guys that did it was uh, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, and uh, they were again managed by Jim Cornette, and they were the Midnight Express from 1977 into 1988. Uh, the name was so popular at this point that there was actually a war between two teams that called themselves the Midnight Express in 1988 and 1989. One of those teams was Dennis Condry and Randy Rose. They were managed by Paul E. Dangerously, and Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane were managed by Jim Cornette. Both of those teams called themselves, and they actually fought against each other, uh, uh, basically for the name, uh, for, for who had the rights to the name. And Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, managed by Jim Cornette, they finally won the war and the name, baby, basically. And uh, then they invaded WCW uh, from 1989 and 90. They were the Midnight Express. Uh, in WCW. The name then wasn't used again until 1998. Uh, then Bart Gunn and a guy named Bob Holly, again, were managed by Jim Cornette. Uh, and then the last one to use the Midnight Express name was Bobby Eaton and Ricky Nelson. Hmm. Uh, and that was from 2004 to 2011. Wow. So I got to thank you, Randy, you know, for asking this question. Uh, and I, and I guess I could take credit for coming up with a name for a tag team that had that was used longer uh, than any in the history of the sport for wow. 30 years, basically from 1981 to 2011. The Midnight Express name uh, was used by numerous different wrestlers and a couple of different managers, and uh, and this butter it's been it has been a part of wrestling history. Oh, no doubt. That's an amazing story, Stud. I, I never realized the the history and who came up with the name. That alone would have been a great Studcast in and of itself. All right, so if Randy Rose had not brought this up, you would have never known this fact. It is just one more way that you made wrestling history, Stud. Congratulations. That's, a, that's an amazing career and still going. So it seems like every Studcast takes us where no one has ever been. It's a real pleasure being a part of this historical podcast. So where do we ride next week, Stud? Well, Dave, we're getting very close, man, to the most critical decision I ever made in wrestling. Uh, I've been struggling through 1979. Done 40 episodes now in 1979. And, uh, and I've been through all of them, trying to recall so much from the past. And at the same time, kind of piece it all together uh, to properly present uh, this decision that I was about to make. It was going to change everything in my life. So within the next two studcasts, we're going to find out how, where, and why I made the choice I did. And uh, then we're going to be dealing uh, with the same cards, the same as we normally do in our format. We're going to deal with cards in both the territories. Uh, the TVs to promote those cards, results of the matches, the attendances in the territories. Uh, we'll still be talking about what All-Star Wrestling was doing 
Uh, we'll be discussing uh, next week the dramatic upcoming changes in talent and all the craziness I was dealing with 44 years ago at this time in 1979. Wow. And then hopefully, Dave, we might be able to get another learning tree in. Hey, it's always cool when you do because there's so much knowledge, so much information right there. Hey, folks, you know the deal. Facebook, you can find you can find the stud. Go to Ron Fuller Welch, the Tennessee stud, on Facebook. Like and follow him there to become friends with a living legend. On Twitter, same thing. It's now called X, of course. Find him on Twitter, X, at Ron Fuller Welch. Follow him there also. Check out Ron's fantastic website, tnstud.com. It's really the home of everything, tnstud.com. This studcast is going to be is going to be loaded there too as soon as we get this one done you'll find it there and every stud cast ever done right there at tnstud.com you find the stud store there too where you can find 43 super stud cast t-shirts four different 8 by 10 photos and thrilling the thrilling lion novel called Brutus you get your personally autographed copy there too that's simple to do you can also go to YouTube Southeastern Rewind now subscribe on YouTube put in put in Southeastern Rewind on the YouTube search bar and then you'll find it it comes up immediately subscribe get the best in old school wrestling 340 videos the last 95 stud cast including this one will be there 52 stud stories, 70 short rides with the stud, and nine Ask the Stud question and answer shows now available. So Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. It is the best in old school wrestling. All right, you've done it again, stud. Any last words? Well, my social media sites have blown up, and uh, I'm going to make sure that I mention this, and I'd like to welcome, obviously, the new fans that, have come on all those sites and uh, thanks everybody for your great comments, getting some fantastic comments. Uh, uh, it takes me a long time to, to I'm dealing with it for, for hour after hour. It seems like sometimes, but uh, uh, I sure don't mind it. And thank everybody for your great comments and please tell your friends and neighbors about us. Take care of yourselves and others and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.